Welcome to today's audio podcast, a sermon teaching from Grace Bible Church of Akron. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of GBC and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at gbcakron.org. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at gbcakron.org. That's I-N-F-O at gbcakron.org. Also, if you would like to support Grace Bible Church, you may do so by visiting gbcakron.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Well, good morning again. Thank you so much for being here at Grace Bible Church. Uh, we uh, are excited that you've joined us in person and online. And uh, some of you are looking kind of gloomy this morning, though. I don't know. I don't know what the people online look like, but uh, you got, I mean, you, some of you look like Ohio State didn't make the college football playoff or something. And they made it, you know? I mean, they made it. Cheer up, folks. It's going to be okay. Yeah, but. Uh, really glad that you're here. I'm glad that we're together. Um, we've been going through the, the book of First John and uh, looking at, at God's word, and particularly about what does it mean to love and what is really love in our world. And uh, we live in a world of influencers. It's kind of uh, a new phenomenon, relatively new to the world anyway. Uh, it it kind of came along after the internet, and then, and then after the internet, we had all these different social media outlets that, that popped up, and, and all of a sudden, uh, people uh, could have millions of followers online. And, and those people that, that have millions of followers are, are called influencers. And so I uh, did a quick search this week trying to figure out who has the most followers. You know, who's, who's the biggest influencer in the world? And you would think that would be kind of easy to, to find out, but it's not because it's constantly changing. Uh, who, who has, you know, a million, it's more than a million. I mean, there, there's people up in around a 40, 50, 60 million people that, that follow them through their social media outlet. And, and so not only uh, is, it, is it hard to figure out who's the most influential person in the world because that, those numbers are always changing, but they, they've broken it out. And so there's influencers in different areas. So like there's influencers in finance, there's influencers in computers, there's influencer in, in fitness, there's, there's influencers in beauty and fashion and entertainment, and we could go on and on and on. And so there's all these, these individuals in the world um, and, and it really boils down to about 50 people that have just millions of followers, people who, who, who look at them online and follow their advice. That's influencers. But as, as I think about that, I, I think about the fact that, that really uh, there's, there's three things that influence us the most. And it's not really people. I mean, people play a role, but it, it goes a little deeper than that. What really influences our choices and our decisions, it boils down to three things. Love, fear, and lies. Those are the three things that influence us the most. In fact, I would dare say that, that most of the decisions, now probably not every decision, but most of the important decisions, the decisions that really matter in life, boil down to, am I doing this out of love? Am I doing it out of fear? Or am I doing it out of a lie? And that's why we ultimately decide what we decide. I mean, an argument could be made this morning. Why did you come to church? Why are, why are you here? 
Some people are here and some are watching online because they fear if they don't go to church, they're not going to have God's favor in their life. And so, and so to, keep, to, keep, to stay on God's good side, I, know I need to do things like church. I, I, need to, I need to be involved in things because God might, might punish me. That's, that's a fear-driven kind of thing. Some people are, are here because of love. They say, you know what? I love God. I know God loves me. Why would I not be here? Why would I not do this? Some people are motivated that way. Some are motivated out of lies. They, they've got an image to keep up. I mean, they, they, they've got this idea that, that this is what good people do. Good people go to church. Good people in, in the community, this is what they do. And so, you know, that, that's a bit of a, uh, maybe a silly illustration, but basically if you think about your life and you think about the choices that you make, most of them are driven back to, am I doing this out of love, out of fear, or out of a lie? And John talks about that in the passage that we're looking at this morning. Love, fear, and lies. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, he says, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I want us to start off our time thinking about fear and what fear does to us and how it influences many of our decisions, especially when it comes to our decisions uh, related to our walk with God, our faith in God, our, our belief in Jesus Christ. Fear does some pretty crazy things to us. First of all, fear makes us afraid of the past. Fear makes us afraid of the past. Every one of us sitting here that's been alive any length of time to get into adulthood, we all have skeletons in our closet. Things that we've done in our past that we hope no one finds out about. You know, I, I'm so grateful I didn't grow up in the internet age where somebody could have videoed me or recorded me saying something or doing something because apparently that stuff is forever on the internet. You know? And, and, so, and so what happens is, is that the past gets dredged up. Well, for a lot of us, we have things in our past and we're afraid of that. We're, we're afraid of our past. And so we make decisions to keep that hidden. Fear is driving us in the decisions that we're making because if people were to find out who we used to be, well, they might cancel us. Or they might not want to be around me anymore. I'm so glad that, that God is not that way with us. He knows everything about our past. And he, and he loves us anyway. I, I read a, a story, and you, some of you in here, you may have heard about this guy. Tom Watson Sr., uh, he for years was the founder and leader of the technology group known as IBM. Okay? And there's a story that goes out that there was an, a, a, a top-level executive within IBM that made a decision one day that cost the company $10 million. And Tom Watson Sr. brought this executive in. The executive came in and he sat down and he said to him, well, I guess you're looking for my letter of resignation. And Tom Watson Sr. looked at him and said, are you kidding? We just spent $10 million educating you. 
I wonder if that's how God looks at our past. Because Jesus paid the ultimate price for our sins. God's never done with us because we messed up in the past. It's almost as if he looks at us and he says, are you kidding? My son just paid a great price for you to learn that. So we don't have to fear our past. Our past should never define us, but it certainly explains us, doesn't it? It explains who we are, but it does not define who we are. And so fear, for many of us, becomes this thing that drives us to make decisions in hopes that no one finds out who I used to be or what I did back there or the poor decision I made, whether that was yesterday, 10 years ago, or 25 years ago. Boy, I hope no one finds out about what I did. And that drives many people's decisions. Look at what Romans 5, 8 says. And here, Paul said it this way, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since by his blood, he did all this for us as sinners, how much more will he do for us now that he has declared us not guilty? It's if Paul is saying, if God loved you so much to send his son to die on the cross for the sins of your past, if he loved you that much as a sinner, how much more does he love you now that you've come into relationship with Christ? You don't need to fear our past. He says now he will save us from all of God's wrath to come. And since when we were his enemies, we were brought back to God by, his, by the death of his son, what blessings he must have for us now that we are his friends and he is living within us. Don't fear your past. Love drives out fear. But fear not only, fear not only makes us afraid of the past, it makes us a, 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 afraid of the present. It makes us afraid of what's happening right now in the world. Not just in the world, because I don't know if you've noticed or not. I don't know if you've been watching the news lately. The world is a hot mess. Okay? But, but here's the thing. So are many of our own individual lives. It's a mess. It's a mess, and we're so afraid that someone might find out we don't have it together right now. It's not just our past that we fear. Sometimes we fear what's happening in life right now. And will God really love me? I am such a mess. Will God love me? Can he really love us when our lives are in such disarray? When we've got so many things going on in life, and, and we have our own inconsistencies, don't we? I mean, I do. Do you? Do you have inconsistencies where you know, you know what you should do, but you just don't do it? Does God still love me anyway in the midst of the mess of my life? Fear says he doesn't. You better hold it together. And if you can't hold it together, you better act like you're holding it together. That's not how God feels about me and you through Christ. Look at what Romans 8.35 says. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Listen, when you're going through trouble, does it mean God doesn't love you? A lot of people live that way. 
A lot of people, I mean, I know people who've gotten up and they come outside and they find a flat tire and say, oh, God's mad at me. I got a flat tire. It's going to throw my whole day off. I'm going to be late for work. I'm going to argue with the boss. My co-workers are, co-workers are going to be mad at me. Oh, God must be upset with me. There are many people that live like that. They didn't get the promotion. God must be mad at me. They didn't get the break. Oh, God's upset with me. That's not, that's not how it works. That's, not, that's fear. That's fear that makes us think like that. And that fear, listen, fear is a terrible leader. And, and if that's your idea of, of God's love for you, then that's going to lead you into a lot of poor decisions because you're afraid of what's happening in the moment. Look at what he goes on to say. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. But fear tells us different. Fear influences us to believe it's not like that. See, see, fear makes us afraid of our past. It makes us afraid of the present. But fear, doggone it, makes us afraid of the future too. You see, is the future really going to get better? I mean, we're getting ready to close 2022. How many of you really think we're going to get it together in 2023? All of a sudden, the world's going to start spinning right. You know, the government's going to fix itself. Nations are going to start getting along. People are going to end their conflicts. Things are just going to start getting better because it's a brand new year. You really believe that's going to happen? No, fear makes us even afraid of the future. Even when we become hopeful of the future, fear is right there chasing along in the shadows saying, oh, it's really not going to be any better. It's not going to be any better. And we think, oh, but we've learned so much. Uh, Without a doubt, all of us have learned things in 2022 that we will totally forget in 2023. We'll find ourselves in a situation that that in 2022, we learned how to handle this, but in 2023, it's like it's fresh. It's like it's never happened before. Will God still love us anyway? I mean, is he really going to be patient with us? Is he he really going to be long-suffering with us? Fear says he won't. He won't. He's going to grow upset with us. He's going to grow impatient with us. He's going to grow, he's going to grow weary of us. That's what, that's what fear says. But look at what Paul wrote in Titus. When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. It was his mercy that got us here. It'll be his mercy that gets us all the way through. Mercy means that he doesn't give us what we deserve. Amen, that's right. He does not give us what we deserve. Every day. That's not just with the big decisions that happen sometimes in life. Every day of our life, he gives us mercy. So we don't have to fear the future. He's going to love us. He's going to be merciful. 
Look, he says he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence. Do you have confidence? He gives confidence. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But, but when, when, when we're not fearing and we're acting in love, we actually have confidence for life. Confidence about the future. It's not going to suck. It's going to be okay. Because God has a good plan. He's going to show me mercy. He's not going to give me what I deserve. We have confidence all the way till we inherit eternal life. But fear tells us it's not like that. Fear tells us that we're kind of on our own. That, that, that hopefully if, 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 if we're wise enough and maybe good enough, we can cover up the past so that nobody knows about it. We can hold it together in the future, so that no one, uh, in the present, so that no one really knows that, that we're messed up. And, and we don't have to worry about the future because, because you know what? I can be good enough. I can be strong enough. I've learned enough. That's what fear constantly drives many people to feel that way. That's not... That's not how he wants us to live our lives. 1 John 4, 17 says, this is how love is made com complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Listen, do you realize that all of us are gonna stand before the Lord one day in a day of judgment? Now, there's two judgments. I don't have a whole lot of time to cover this because it's, 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 a, it's a whole other sermon for another time. But there's two judgments after death. One is the great white throne judgment. One is the judgment seat of Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you go to the judgment seat of Christ. If you're not a believer in Christ, you go to the great white throne judgment. So there's two judgments. You only go to one. You don't go to both. And at the judgment seat of Christ, that's where believers can stand in confidence before the Lord and say, you know what, I wasn't perfect, but I knew you loved me. And, I, and that love influenced me more than fear did. Can we say that? That's what John's talking about. God, your love for me, I wasn't perfect, but your love for me influenced me more than fear did. That's what John is talking about in this passage. Fear is a huge influencer in a lot of our lives. And John says when that's happening, we're not letting God's love grow in us. We're not receiving it as we should, and we're not letting it grow in us. Another influencer that's out there is love. Love definitely influences a lot of people. Now, when I talk about love, I'm not talking about imitation love. If you want to know about imitation love, you got to go back to last week's message because there's definitely two loves in the world. There's God's love and there's imitation love. And what I'm talking about right here is when we allow God's love to influence us. And this happens to a lot of us who call upon the name Jesus Christ. And when God's love is, is influencing us, it empowers us to be like Jesus in our slice of the world, okay? Where we live, the people that we rub shoulders with, the family we're involved of, the company we work for, the school we go to, that's where we're like Jesus in our slice of the world when we're under the influence of God's love. 
1 John 4, 17, it goes on to say, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of, of day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. You see, confidence never stands alone. It always leads to some type of moral directives in our life. When we, when we are under the influence of God's love, we have a moral confidence about what we're supposed to do in our life with the people that we are with. When God's influencing us, I know how I should act in that moment. It may not be the easy thing, but it will be the loving thing. It may not always appear to others to be the right thing, but it is the loving thing to do. A couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Managua, Nicaragua. Uh, John and Tony went with me. We had a great time. But there's an, there's an interesting, interesting thing about the city of Managua, which is the capital of Nicaragua. And some of you may have heard the song from U2, uh, that that uh, where the streets have no names? Well, a lot of people think they're talking about the city of Managua because in Managua, the streets have no names. Not a single street is named in the city of Managua. Now, you might think, well, what's, what's the problem? Well, try going and being a visitor there and finding something. It's next to impossible because you must solely depend upon your own knowledge of landmarks, of either what is in a certain place or what used to be in a certain place. Because if you go to someone and say, how can I find X? They're gonna say, well, do you know where this is? Do you know that this used to be at th where this place used to be? And if you don't have the context of those local markers, you, you can't find your way around the city of Managua. Another important thing to know about Managua that's kind of local to, to, to there is that when you're asking for directions and they say something like, if you, go to, if you go to this chapel and go one block down, how would you interpret that? Go one block down. Was that north, south, east, or west? South, that's how I would interpret it. I would say, okay, go one block south. In Managua, one block down is west. So you can imagine how complicated it is to find your way in Managua. There's no, there's no confidence. I mean, what if you're even talking to someone that doesn't know what they're talking about? Right? Because every man thinks he knows what he's talking about when it comes to directions. But sometimes we don't, do we, right? Look, here, here's my point. This happens to us spiritually when we're not under the influence of God's love. It's like, it's like walking through life in Managua. How do we know where we're going? How do we know what's right? How do we know what's wrong? How do we know what's good and bad? How do we know what's righteous and wicked? If there's no markers, there's, there's no direction, there's, and we're just relying on what I feel, I feel like it's this way. I feel like this is what I should do. Or, or we talk to other people and, and they're living in the city of the street with no names too. And you ask them, what do you think I should do? What direction should I take? Well, they don't know either because they don't know where they are. That's how a lot of people live. 
when we're not under the influence of God's love. When we're under the influence of God's love, it's like we have a compass that says, oh, this is what I need to do in this moment. In this moment, I need to do the loving thing, the God-loving thing. It may not be the easiest thing. It may not be the most feel-good thing, but it is the God-loving thing I need to do. That's what John is talking about. That's what happens to us when we're under the influence of love. We're doing the God-loving thing. The God-loving thing is always what's best for somebody else, in case you didn't know that. Doing what's best for yourself is not always the God-loving thing. If you don't believe me, think about Jesus. The God-loving thing that he did on the cross was not what was best for him. It was what's best for us. And that's how we can always kind of figure out if it's the imitation love or God's love. Is my choice really good for the other people? Or am I making this choice about me and what's good for me? When we're under the influence of God's love, he empowers us to be like Jesus in our slice of the world, to love people the proper way in our type, in our circle. But when not only when we're under the influence of love, not only does that empower us to be like Jesus, it also removes fear. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. People cannot love God and fear God at the same time. Fear is punishment, I should say. You can't love God and fear being punished by him at the, at the same time. As we grow in our love of God, we cease to be fearful of what God will do or, will, or what he won't do. See, that's, that's what kind of gets us. We're, we're not sure what God's going to do in our life, right? I mean, we're trying to follow him the best that we can, and, and living by faith requires that we make choices that we don't know the outcome. And if I don't know the outcome, how do I know God's going to be good to me if I make that choice to follow him? How am I going to know that he's going to come through? Well, when God's love is growing in us and it's multiplying inside of us, we don't have to fear that. We don't have to fear, will God show up or not? Will God help me? Will God really be there for me if I walk in faith? I think of, I think of uh, a, a lady that used to go to Grace Bible Church. She no longer goes to church here. You want to know why? Because she opened up an orphanage in Ghana. By herself, single. And we think, oh my gosh, how could anybody do that? Someone who knows God loves them can do that. They're not afraid. I mean, it doesn't mean they don't have fears, but, but they're under the influence of God's love more than they're under the influence of fear. Does that make sense? I mean, it, it's, as, it's as simple as, as, as uh, uh, there, there's a guy that goes to church here who's a plant manager in our local area. He started going to church at Grace Bible Church and, and, and he, he, you know, God's word began to speak to him and he noticed that several of the policies that were established in his plant, were, they were just wrong, they were just wrong. And so under the influence of God's love, he started changing policies for the entire plant. Who does that in today's world? People under the influence of God's love. 
more than they're under the influence of fear. What would his boss say? What would other people say? It, it didn't matter. It's not that he didn't have those concerns. Sure, he had those concerns. But he was under the influence of God's love more than he was fear. Does that make sense? It's as simple as when, as when someone volunteers at the IWC, at the International Welcome Center, and they're willing to go into a home. They're willing to become the friend of someone who doesn't even speak English. I can't tell you how many people tell me, I just don't know that I can do that because they don't speak English and I don't, I don't speak what they speak and, and I don't know how we'll get along. And, and so you know what? They don't ever do anything. They're under the influence of fear more than they're under the influence of love. And we do that all the time. Does that make sense? It's as simple as being under the influence of love. God's love drives out fear. It says, you know what? I'm not afraid to do the God-loving thing because God's love drives out my fear. It doesn't mean I don't have fear. It doesn't mean that I don't think about things or I'm not concerned about things, but ultimately I'm under the influence of God's love and that removes my fear. That's what John is talking about. And that's what it means to be the, under the influence of God's love. John goes on to talk about another influence in our world. In verse 19, he says, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So what is John talking about? John, so most cars, I, I, I get it, the automobile, automobile industry is changing, but most cars still today run on gasoline, right? You gotta go to the gas station, you gotta put some, some fuel in there and that car will run. If you take a, a car that runs on gasoline and you try to put something else in the tank, that car's not gonna work right. Humans were created to run on love, God's love. And, and if we try to run on something else, we're not going to work properly. And so what John is saying is, is, is that there's a lot of people out there who say, oh, you know what? I love God. I love Jesus. But they don't love people. And John is saying something's wrong. See, there's a lot of people, there's, there's a lot of people who have used a lot of verbal energy expressing their love for God, and then they behave like the rest of the world is, is their bathroom. John says there's something wrong. That's not right. If you, if you, really, if you really are under the influence of God's love, you love people. You love your brothers and sisters. You love people. Last week, we spent some time looking at that, looking at God's love, and I, I got an email. I got an email from somebody, and they asked me a really good question. Their question basically was, um, well, I can't find it in my notes. Their question was this, do you believe that love is the primary identifying characteristic of a believer and that doctrine is secondary or of lesser importance? That's a good question. It's a good question. Do you believe that love is the primary identifying characteristic of a believer and that doctrine is secondary 
or of lesser importance. So here's the thing. Love, love is definitely the primary characteristic of a believer. Jesus said the world would know we are his disciples by the way we love one another. But what John is saying is that if our doctrine is messed up, our love is messed up. It's not, that, it's not that what we believe is of, is of lesser importance. It is that if what we believe is not right, that will show up in the way we love other people. That's what's gonna happen. And that's, John is saying, bring these, through te- bring these things into alignment. You can't say, oh, I love God. I, I, I love Jesus. I, I, I love, and then treat people like you don't love them. John is saying you're, you're lying if you do that. Not only are you lying, you're, we're calling God a liar if we do that. And sometimes that's what happens to us. We fall under the influence of lies. Lies convince us we can love God and not love others. That's what lies tell us. Is, is that, oh, you know what? I can love God and not love other people and still be okay with God. And John is saying, no, it doesn't work that way. That's not, that's not how it works. John is saying, if we cannot carry out the easier requirement of loving someone that we can see, we surely can't carry out the harder requirement of loving someone we can't see. See, if I, if, I can't, if I can't love the people in front of me, how can I love the God that I've never seen? That's what John is saying. But some people under the influence of lies say, you know what, I can do that. I can pretend. I can pretend I'm in line with what scripture teaches. I can pretend that, that I, I have the right beliefs and I have the right thoughts and I have, I have the right ideals and, and I know right from wrong, I know good from bad and I treat everyone else like they're really not that important. John would say your doctrine's messed up. You've missed the boat. He says in verse 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. You know, one day Jesus was arguing with the religious leaders. He was arguing about the fact that that, that they say they loved God, but, but they made it hard on everybody else. And so, so basically, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 15. He finally looked at the religious leaders and he said, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. Farce is a word we don't use too much, but it means lie. It means that even our worship of God becomes a lie. I, I, I show up and, and, I, and I worship God, but, but I, I don't really love people. Life's about me. It's about what's best for me. That's, that's how we know if we, if we are loving others. Are we making choices that are only about my good and what's best for me? 
Or, or are we making loving choices that says, this is what I need to do because this is what's best for someone else? And John is arguing the point that if it's only about us, even though we claim to believe in God, what we believe about him is inaccurate. It's not true. I read a story this week about a guy that was named Victor Dorman. Anybody ever heard of Victor Dorman? Victor Dorman has greatly impacted all of our lives. But I didn't know it either until I read this article. He died a couple of years ago and the New York Times did an obituary on him and this is what they said about Victor Dorman. Victor Dorman, who helped change the way Americans buy cheese by putting the paper between the slices as chairman of the Dorman Cheese Company died on March 4th at his home in Delray, Florida Beach, Florida. He was 80. Dorman graduated from an Ivy League school. He was a decorated war hero from World War II. Yet that's all the New York Times said about him. He's the guy that put cheese, paper between cheese slices. I don't know why he did it. I don't know what his motivation was. Maybe he was just trying to sell more cheese. My point is simply this. What you think you'll be remembered for isn't always what you're remembered for. And we're all under the influence of love, fear, or lies. That's guiding our choices. And people look back and they remember. Who is that person? What did they do? What contribution did they leave behind? What do they be remembered for? Our choices determine that. John is encouraging us to be under the influence of love so that we make choices that matter and that people remember. Let me say this prayer. You can, maybe you can use it this week as you think about what we've seen out of God's word this morning. It says, Father, I... Do not want fear to be my leader. Give me the grace to recognize the thoughts, attitudes, and actions in my life that are motivated by fear. I also pray that my life will not be directed by lies. If I truly love you, I should be loving others. Rescue me from the lies before I am comfortable with the leadership of the inconsistencies and darkness they bring. Lord, let your love reign in my heart. Let it influence, change, and fuel the way I think, feel, and act. Teach me daily to grow in your love. I pray it in Jesus' name. I hope that can be your prayer this week. That we would not be led by fear. We would not be led by lies. But instead, it would be God's love influencing us and the choices that we make. Amen?
Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being at Grace Bible Church this morning. I hope to see you here next week. Have a good Sunday. Thank you so much for being a part of our worship service this, this morning and joining us uh, at GBC Online. Thank you uh, for spending part of your day with us. Uh, it's my hope and prayer that God spoke to you uh, as you participated online with us today. Uh, you know, I'm sure you've heard the saying, all that glitters is not gold. Well, if I were to modify that a little bit, not everything that is love comes from God. And it's through Jesus Christ that we come to discover God's love. And it's our prayer, our hope, that that's what will happen with you. That as you spend time with us, you would come to place your faith in Christ so that you might really be able to experience the love of God. And that's what this entire sermon series is about. It's about really experiencing the love of God. So I hope that as you listen, you'll make a decision for Christ. And if you do so, that you would please reach out to us and let us know. We would love to connect with you. The easiest way for that to happen is for you to text the word CONNECT to 330-400-2869. We would love to talk with you if you make a decision for Christ. God bless you. I hope you join us next week.